Hey, y'all. It's March, and our hot take this month is about reproductive justice and access to reproductive health care. You know why? Because it is also Women's History Month. And if you follow us on social media or receive our newsletter at Parenting for Liberation, then you know that we've been celebrating black women's contributions to the reproductive justice movement. Check out all the incredible black women and what they've contributed by following us on Instagram. But the fight for reproductive justice has always been for our communities about more than just health care for black women. It's been about safety and agency and bodily autonomy and resisting system of, of oppression um, and white supremacy that wants to not only take over our body, but has literally been killing black women and learn about weathering, learn about black maternal health, mortality rates, all of that. So we know that the system comes for our bodies. And as you may have seen with all the recent attacks on women's rights or reproductive health um, and reproductive rights in the Texas uh, rulings around uh, abortion rights, um, black women's bodies have been under attack since the inception of this country. And we must fight back. And the one way to fight back is we currently have a Supreme Court nominee, um, Judge Katani Brown-Jackson, representation matters on Supreme Court. So many of our laws and policies are enforced by the Supreme Court. Um, Katani Brown-Jackson will be the first black woman to be ever nominated um, for the Supreme Court. And we know that we need to stand up specifically around Roe versus Wade and making sure because 2021 was the year that had the most abortion restrictions enacted. In a single year. Um, and if you think Texas is bad, there's a new law that we just heard about, a new case from Missouri where they're trying to prevent people in their state from going to other states to take care of their reproductive needs. And so they're trying to, like, not only control their their citizen, their um, state represents in their state, but they're trying to also, like, control their state, uh, the folks who live in the state from going to other states to get the support they need. And we know that folks in Texas do that already. And so we just really have to make sure that we are paying attention to the laws because it's not only about abortion. I know folks feel like abortion is a personal thing. It's not about abortion. It's about our ability to make choices about our bodies. And for so long, this nation has tried to control black people's bodies and tell us what we can and cannot do, where we can and cannot go. And we should have the right to make those choices about our bodies. Everyone should have the right. And so today for our episode, we're going to be talking about um with Brittany Brathway, who is an incredible sex activist, and a, a, she talks to kids about, she talks to young people about sex and autonomy and bodily autonomy and consent. And so those are the conversations that we're going to be having um, today with Brittany. Um, Brittany is the co-founder of Combritative, a sex and wellness platform for black girls and women seeking accurate and helpful information about sex, love, health, their rights. Um, Brittany is someone who's an incredible um, educator and activist who's been doing work to create change in the lives of girls of colors through sexual health education and base building and community organizing and curriculum development. Um, she's really incredible. She's so creative. Um, she also founded Homegirl Box. If you don't know about that, check that out. So we'll be ha talking to Brittany shortly because our rights to control our bodies matter. So this Women's History Month, celebrate those women in our history, black women who have always fought to make sure that we have bodily autonomy, we have rights, we have choices, um, and we have to make sure that we stand by that. All right, let's get into the episode. Raising black children in the United States can be really scary. 
And as a black mother, I realized I was parenting from fear. And I wanted to make a commitment to Parent for Liberation. You are listening to Parenting for Liberation podcast. And I am your host, Trina Green-Brown. Each month, I'm joined by other black parents and we discuss our own journeys to push past our fears so that we can raise our beautiful black children to be whole, free, and liberated. Wake up everybody, no more sleeping. Hey y'all, this is Trina Green-Brown here with Brittany Brathway of Kimbertive. And she's going to tell us all about the work that she's been doing with her and her co-founder, Kimberly. And I actually met them doing this work early on in their workshop field when they were at the National Sexual Assault Conference out in Cali. Uh, Britt, welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes. I remember going to that workshop. Um, I remember it being like hella blackity black, black, black. Absolutely. And I also just remember it being super um, creative, innovative, and connected to the time. Like, it wasn't like, let's talk about black women and black issues and black health and black access, but talk about it from the past. It was like, no, we're going to be looking at reality TV. We're going to look at music lyrics. And so tell us about that workshop and how you got into this work. Yeah, so I was I was so lucky. That was well, that was our early, early, early days. Like before we even have a, had a name, before we were Kimberdiv, uh, we applied. We actually did a workshop somewhere else, and then um, folks invited us to come present at the National Sexual Assault Conference. And we back then, me and Kim had totally separate jobs. We weren't building. We didn't know that we were building a business, but we were really interested in doing sex education for black girls. And and that was like very specific because folks were working on sex ed for youth, sex ed for urban youth, sex ed for youth of color. And we we really thought like black girls needed a thing. And so we had created a workshop for black girls called How to Be a Black Girl First Love Yourself that really talked about sort of popular culture and the messages we were getting and how that didn't match up with the messages in our home. But none of it actually provided us any real education about sex. And so we had that workshop uh, for young black girls. And then we were like, hmm, older black girls, black parents, black service providers, all kinds of folks that like are in relationship with black youth and young people actually need a workshop. So yes. we created a workshop called Standing Up in a Cricket Room based on a chapter in Melissa Harris Perry's book, Sister Citizen, that really looked at sort of how black women and black girls navigate a world where they literally uh, are, the, the, the room is not straight because of all of these sort of depictions stereotypes um, that are present in our lives and that we're constantly navigating. Uh, and so we went to this conference to present and one, we were so young. I remember we were <laughs> trying to get in the room and someone was like, we're waiting for the presenters to come. And me and Kim looked at each other like, we are the presenters. Let us in. Uh, <laughs> yes. Early in the game, you know, fighting ageism. That was mm-hmm. a very interesting moment. Um, and then we, you know, we went in the room and I think it was the only workshop that had black in the title. It literally I, was. That's why I came the to the workshop. workshop. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's workshop. black. It's blackity black, black, black. I'm it going to this black. one. You thought we were holding the DEI symposium because <laughs> <laughs> the room was not only filled with black people, but every person of color that was registered in that conference. Like it was Yeah, it was like standing room only. It was it like was standing room only. And y'all had activities where people were supposed to move across the room and it was like we yes. couldn't because yes. we were already 
in there. There was no movement. We had to take the stuff. There was like a gallery wall. We had to take the stuff off of the wall. And people were like in conversation with pieces because there was no room yeah. to do the gallery walk. Um, but yeah, so we were like looking at, if I rem- we were looking at sort of pictures, videos, a lot. It was a multimedia workshop, listening, you know, songs, lyrics for folks to like break this down. And then what was not expected at that time, it was like, we knew that we were going to do this with adults, but like this intergenerational sort of conversation started taking place. So like, you know, folks that were like grandparents were like, back in my day, actually, we did have a song that was talking about bumping and grinding, but it wasn't called that, you know, and then we it had was a little more discreet. <laughs> yes it was it was like you know i want i only want people under 18 but it was in the lyrics um uh, and for the first time i think it opened up kim kim and i's eyes about the possibilities of sort of this work that we were doing and what we were going to lead um and you know flat, fast forward to today where we're building sort of an unapologetic sexual wellness platform um reimagining the health and well-being of black girls and women uh and so the the ideas, though, that, that came in that workshop, I think back in, two, I want to say 2015, mm. um, led or seeded us to be um, like sort of encouraged that the work was necessary. And then it wasn't just necessary. At that point, we were just like, our work is only for, you know, young people. And the universe kept tapping us and was like, actually, no, like you, you, there are people who raise young people. And yes. if our education systems are not going to do it, if our social services are not going to do it, perhaps we start to lead the work also with black women so that they may raise a generation of black girls that feel um, empowered and entitled to reproductive justice. And so yes, that was the very beginning. The beginning, the incubation phase. And look how far you all have come. And I'm so glad that... Um, you were tapped. I don't know if it was your ancestors or the information in the room was letting you know. I was in that room. I was a parent, but I also done a lot of work with young people um, prior mm-hmm. to becoming a parent, you know, work with young people, youth educator, youth organizer. And so I knew how fun and expansive and creative and multimedia programming can be for young people. You know, we get real creative when we're bringing young people together. We're like, oh, we got to incorporate music and pop culture and all of that. Mm -hmm. But sometimes when you, like, go into adult learning spaces, they're very dry. They're very, like, bland. There's none of that. There's no – it's just all heady. And so I was so excited when I came to your workshop because I was like, pop culture – uh, we was talking about reality TV, music. Yeah, I was playing songs that I'd be listening to. I was like, oh, yes, this is my spot. <laughs> but And that's why I came up to y'all after. and was like, I got to get y'all info. And look at us now. Look at us now. And your work is still so relevant um, to black folks and to black parents. Like you said, like you can't only talk to the young people. Um, you also have to engage the parents and the folks who are in their lives because honestly, I'm a parent and many parents still to this day have a lot of apprehension when it comes to talking to our kids about sex, sexual health, consent, bodily autonomy. Um, but data shows that parents are one of the most influential people in their teens lives and their decision makings about sex um Mm -hmm. especially black teens ages like 12 to 19 so so based on your information all the work that you've been doing how should parents even begin to approach the conversation about sex and sexuality is it something that you kind of just be like hey come here i want to talk to you about sex or you played that tlc song wait is that tlc he's like let's talk about sex baby baby. let's like is that what we do or you know do we just wait for a particular moment like i don't know it comes on tv or yes so you should absolutely never wait <laughs> like waiting is perhaps the worst thing you can do and i think it's because people 
you know, they either close their eyes and hope that the conversation <laughs> never comes up or that somehow miraculously, like, you know, that mo- you never have to have the talk. You never have to have to talk about the birds and the bees or whatever. So we don't, in Kimberative, we really don't, we don't believe in sort of the, t- the talk. We believe in uh, teachable moments. We believe that talking about sex and sexuality is a sort of lifelong process that you will be having um, with your kid, right? And so there are moments, if you are you're invited to like have these moments uh, constantly, but you have to choose into them. And so the example I like to think about is when I was a kid, I think I was 12 years old, I was watching Love and Basketball, and uh, there's a scene where folks are having sex for the first time, and Quincy pulls out a condom. And my aunt was like, wow, I'm so happy to see them using protection in this, you know, in this scene. And I was like, protection? What? What is that? And basically, we had an age-appropriate conversation at that time about sex, about condoms, um, about why people use uh, protection. I actually learned... Um, a little bit about, I, I don't think she was comfortable, but talking about like the HIV and AIDS, AIDS epidemic of her time. Uh, and it was a really beautiful conversation. I had never got anything like that in school and to date still never got anything like that in school, but it was a moment for us. I did know what condoms were. So it was a moment for us to open up sort of that conversation. Uh, and so a those beautiful moments, example. Shout out to Auntie. <laughs> I love that example because it was my life. And I love uh, that movie. And I don't even think I remember that Quincy put on a condom. Because if you don't really talk about it, it kind of is just like in passing. So I appreciate yeah. like taking that moment to be like, like, oh, that's a good thing. You know, it's just yeah, it, like, come on, Auntie. Auntie was smooth with it. That's what black parents, we got to, come on, black parents, we got this, we could do it. Yeah, it's not, yeah, don't make it, don't make it hot, don't make it awkward. (laughs) Just, just ease it in. And this happens all the time when a family member, friend or something like that announces that they're pregnant, right? I don't baby shower is kind of fancy now, so kids don't be going to them. But like, I remember getting dragged to baby showers, like, how do people get pregnant, right? Like, that's a, it's Wow, I went to so many baby showers. You're right. Mm Mm-hmm. We didn't really mm-hmm. know where they came from. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody talked about that. Nobody. You just go into the baby showers with a gift that you wrapped. And then the baby <laughs> comes out and you don't even know how the baby get gets out either. Nope. It nope. just, it arrives. Um, just so in your work with like young people, like what are the conversations that they want to have? Um, the ones that they like, we can't talk to mama and him and auntie and them about this, but they come to y'all, you know, the youth educators. Um, mm-hmm. So what are those conversations? Because like those are the conversations that maybe black parents should be either introducing, of course, not awkwardly and not like, hey, so I know you want to talk about this particular thing. Like, but what are those topics that that young people are talking about, but they want they need to talk to with their parents? Yeah. Um, young folks actually want to know what sex is. And that is the conversation that even the best sex education programs avoid, like avoid. <laughs> um, so, and when I say what sex is, I was like, like yeah, so want- what is it? <laughs> yeah, no, no, like for real, like, what is it? Like, what is happening? Like, does, you know, if it's, you know, is it penis and vagina, vagina and vagina, how do those things go together? Like, you know, where they want to know what sex is and, I think that is that's the hardest question for some adults to answer because I don't think everybody knows what sex is. I was going to say some adults stuff. don't even know what exactly. constitutes sex or not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um it's a real it's a you real You still got hard... those you still got those workshops for adults, right? 
we are still rolling out those workshops for adults. Yes. Because we might a... need them to be like, wait, are we having sex? Are we having sex <laughs> what right are we, now? What have we been doing? <laughs> it's a real conversation. And I think like, you know, there are easy sort of spaces to have that conversation. When we, yeah, I think people have awkward conversations about consent because it's like you, a lot of people are having conversations about consent and in, um, in respect to like intercourse, right? Or like, um, but like not in conversation, like not having conversations about someone, if, if you're interested in like being with someone, someone just touches, you know, any of your body parts and you don't want that to happen, that's, you're not consenting to that, right? But like, if we only have conversations and consent in this box of like, it's only when someone is having quote unquote sex with you, but you haven't defined sex, then the conversation doesn't matter. And so young people really want to know, like, what is sex? They want to know about should sex be pleasurable? Like the one of the top questions we always get is yes. does sex hurt? No, and it shouldn't. <laughs> it shouldn't, right? But like that takes a lot of like, no, sex shouldn't hurt. And then you why? Then you should go into conversations about, well, maybe you want to be aroused. Are we really ready to have conversations about arousal and pleasure? I mean, <laughs> you know, but we should folks? because we know that even little babies oh yeah are curious about their bodies and are fine like little people find ways to like uh please themselves uh and it's just a self it's a self-pleasing and some people can't even get with it with babies so imagine with teenagers it's hard but but yeah folks our bodies are our bodies are beautiful and they can do so many things. Like we say, they're magical. And um, young people find ways to find the magic, to find the pleasure. And, and that should be okay. And I know it makes yeah. people uncomfortable, but come on. It's, it's, it, it makes people really uncomfortable, but I'd rather people learn. Um, well, I'd rather young people learn from trusted adults or trusted folks uh, than learn from like the number one, the number one sex education tool that young people have is porn. Like that is the place where they learn what? everything. Yes, that is not like, a sex education tool. It, it, it is, teaches them about sex. It's teaching them about very particular male-dominated, Absolutely. aggressive. It's teaching them unhealthy, potentially um, harmful, you know, Absolutely. messages about sex. So come on, black parents. We cannot let porn teach our babies about sex. No. And Can't you can filter it. it. And you can say what kind you want to, like, and, and, and the thing, the conversation that, you know, porn sites have that uh, a lot of folks are not having are around desire, right? And so when you're growing up, you have desire, you have things that you want, things that feel good to you, things that um, make you happy, bring you joy. And I think thinking about Black kids in particular, where so much of the world can be shaped in a way that is extremely oppressive, extremely carceral, criminal, right? You're going to seek pleasure, you're going to seek desire. So we actually have to invite young people to be able to name those things and not rely sort of on you know, porn sites are places where they're not going to get sort of accurate information or a way that shows a more liberated world. We actually have to we have to design against that. And so that is our job. Like that is our tool. Like we have to design against that because young people are seeking. They want desirable lives. That is they part of what they deserve. It. Exactly. Mm-hmm. They deserve it. And, you mm-hmm. know, honestly, I think it's a long I, I think that this generation, this current generation, the future generation of young people are being more equipped probably because of social emotional learning and more of Uh this work to be just unapologetically black and what does it mean to Uh be black and free that Uh there's now a time for black children and for us to talk about desire and pleasure 
and what do we mm-hmm. want? You know, I don't think those conversations have been available or had the, the space hasn't been provided in the past. So I think when I think about black parents who are maybe like genera- a generation older, you know, than the young people or maybe a couple generations older um, than the young people that you're working with, um, it makes me think about how some of us growing up may have not had this same level of bodily autonomy, may mm-hmm. have not also had these conversations with our parents. I definitely don't remember having a birds and a beads conversation um, with mm-hmm. my parents. And many of us also have our own traumas around sex, around our bodies and around consent. You know, me as a survivor of of abuse, of sexual abuse, um, I know that it's that often gets in the way, right, of us mm-hmm. being able to, like, if we talk about it, then, like, maybe then they're going to, like, be more curious and, like, maybe something can happen. And, you know, um, we're worried about, like, child abuse or sexual or molestation or anything like that. So, like, we're like, if we don't talk about it, it won't happen. Um, and we know that's the opposite, right, in the work that we do. If mm-hmm. you don't talk about it, it actually makes it more possible for it to happen. So mm-hmm. how can we... Um, process as parents um how can we broach these conversations when we have our own healing to do from our own traumas um and how do we talk to our kids about sex and consent and bodily autonomy um and desire and pleasure and all of those things in a way that is not rooted in our fear that is not Mm fear-based you know that is actually for for their liberation for them to have you know, let me say it, have sexual liberation as much as we want them to mm-hmm. be liberated. I think we also are today we're talking about sexual liberation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's definitely um, it's definitely a process. And like, you know, you said, like parents have to reparent themselves around these things. Right. That's the only way that you're going to get to sort of uh, parenting children in a liberated way that leads to their sexual liberation and so you know the example that i give a lot of times um like statistically black um, folks with uteruses are more likely to use pads than tampons and because this idea that if you use a tampon you are sexually active right and that's based on the fear that you don't want a kid or you don't want to open literally have a child open up their body to be sexually active and it's extremely harmful because one has nothing to do with the other and in fact like might we want a young person to be able to explore their own body before someone else does right and so that 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 is like I it's literally like passed on for generation to generation to generation and the numbers remain the same right and it's like a clear-cut way in which like statistically like there's a whole group of people that have access to their vagina in different ways and black women don't or black folks with uteruses don't get that uh and and so the the requirement or like you know I've been talking to my nibblings or young folks around like literally we just having conversations about tampons I'm like you want to play soccer you you can't do that with a pad on sis like it's not gonna work you're gonna be wobbling down you know the field and it's like but what does that mean it's like actually means nothing it's a tool that you use um for menstruation that's that's it yeah Uh, you know what you're so right i you had me thinking i was thinking like i didn't know black women growing up Mm -hmm. that used tampons Mm mm-hmm there was something about Mm -hmm. toxic something something the the thing that they the label yes i remember that but it was like also because yeah it was like it wasn't really the thing it was really about like you know like oh it'll hurt because you're a virgin so like so you you know it'll tear your hymen or something and I was just like and I just thought it was going to be the most painful thing ever so I never did until I was a little bit older like until I was like in college because all my Mm -hmm. college friends wore tampons (laughs) it's like one of the first steps of liberation oh my god I go to college I can wear a tampon now Mm mm-hmm 
Wow. Yeah, I never thought. I didn't know that. That I just, you know, we always think it's just in our house, our rules and our family. But like, okay, statistically, this is a thing. Okay, good to know. And like, how do we, how do we be more expansive and 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 what what tools we have available for us and our people? So that's really helpful. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's again, it's a, it's a work in progress. Like I just use that example as a way to, like, you know, I use hair. Like, when did you realize your hair was your own? You know, like, when did you realize that you can actually do that hairstyle you want? Like, if we're going to talk about body liberation for black folks, like, when did your hair become your own? Like, what age were you? Um, Those are the, like, and that and that's, like, what complicates the conversation because it's not the same. Why are we so? Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking about it. I couldn't dye my hair. You couldn't yeah. cut your hair. It was definitely not mine. Listen, nope. now I, I didn't cut all my hair off. I, I got a shortcut like Eve used to have back in the day. And yeah, I could have never done this. Nope. <laughs> when I was nope. when I was a, when I was even a teenager. Right. Um, I would have never been able mm-hmm. to do this. Yeah, absolutely mm-hmm. not. Like changing my hair color and all that stuff. Never could never do it <laughs> even though i wanted could to not. and i and i want to just like quickly address the fear-based part because like Please. you know fears are substantiated like you know we don't just have fears out of nowhere but we pass those fears on even when they no longer um are you know like they're not relevant anymore or we've created different conditions for folks right and so like the 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 fear like our own fears like i think there's something like write them down like say what they are like out and then see if they are logical in this current moment because sometimes they're not like they actually don't make sense like you know i'm not gonna let you watch such and such because you may learn or pick this up okay but i have a whole phone i don't gotta watch it here <laughs> like oh my gosh with the new millennium oh lord the, <laughs> the kids is learning out everything online on tiktok on instagram on social media text messages yes. googling listen yes. you know who gonna teach our kids everything Siri and Alexa. So we need yes. to just talk to them because they <laughs> and they're gonna teach them faster. And they're gonna teach them, which is why we also are not waiting for that moment. Because the instance, right? Like I can type anything into Google right now. If you waited for that one particular moment at age fourteen and a half, trust me, Siri has already taught has taught a whole curriculum by then. Like there's no, <laughs> we can't wait for that. We can't wait for that time. Right and. You know, the parents who, like like you said earlier, you were like, oh, they're hoping that they like, oh, we got through high school and we never had to talk about it. There's a reason mm-hmm. you never had to talk about it because they're talking mm-hmm. to other people. Yeah. They're talking, they're Googling it. So it's like, yeah, you didn't ever have to bring it up or you didn't ever have to, but it's because they're figuring it out other places. And like, we want to be, I feel like black parents, we should want to be a, a safe space for them to come and talk to us about. We say, we say to our kids, you can talk to us about anything. Come mm-hmm. to us, talk to me. But when mm-hmm. they want to come to us and talk about these conversations, we can't we can't shy away from them. We can't shut them down. We can't minimize them. Um, we have to really yep. engage. And so we have to do our own work, black parents. You know, I've been doing the work, especially, again, as I said, as a survivor who has a lot of fear around things, around, like, child molestation or incest and all of those things. Mm-hmm. I have so many fears. And I know that if I just don't talk about it, that that does not help. Right. Because Mm -hmm. silence sometimes leads to more violence because we're not talking about it. And so if we want to talk about bodily autonomy and consent, we have to let our young people know that they have 
bodily autonomy over their body. So we have to allow them to have choices about what they wear and how they do their hair and if they use mm-hmm. pads or tampons or, you know, mm-hmm. like we have to allow them choices around their body and like be able to say no about things related to their body so that then they have the practice of saying no in case mm-hmm. someone does approach them and they're like, no, this is my body. I don't want to do that. That doesn't feel good to me. But if they haven't Mm -hmm. had the space to explore what feels good to them, what do they like, what do they not like, they are more susceptible to being manipulated or abused. And so we have to create those conditions for them to have um, a sense of self and around their bodies and around sex and their agency. Absolutely. So, you know, sex that is in school, but like you said, it it don't... mm, it don't really be hitting like that. Um, so sex education in schools and other institutions, they never kind of cover these topics. And they're also often not culturally relevant. Um, but it does show that it decrease it does decrease unsafe sexual activity. And like it mm-hmm. could decrease, you know, unplanned pregnancy. So like talking about it doesn't increase more. It doesn't increase. Like if you talk about sex at school, then more kids are going to have sex. If you talk about pregnancy at school, more kids are going to have pregnancy. Like that's actually mm-hmm. not what happens. It's like you give them the information. So then they have the information like, oh, that's how you get pregnant. And I don't want to get pregnant. Cool. Now I know. Um, but it you know, I'm sure that the curriculum, at least when I was growing up and I'm sure now uh, the curriculum still misses the mark when it comes to um Black girls, black young people, and also black LGBTQ youth. And so I'm Mm -hmm. curious about um, what are the ways that black parents can fill in the gaps around those learn those that those particular communities, our communities, um, and make sure that the resources that are being provided at the school are complemented. And what are those resources and what information should we be sharing with our young people? Mm Yeah, that's a great, that's a a great question. Um, And again, like a lot of a lot of states actually don't require, you know, sex education or because parents are fighting it (laughs) i live in new york quote-unquote liberal blah 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 sex education is not required in new york state there's been a bill up for the last five years trying to get passed and it hasn't gotten passed yet um which is it's just it's jarring to me uh and so you know you have to sort of nonprofits, um community-based organizations uh parent groups are in some places supplementing this because there, it's not available. And like you said, there's, there, it misses the mark, you know, there, it misses the mark. And again, like people's fear, it not only has showed to, you know, decrease sort of sexual risky activity, um, STIs, HIV, unintended pregnancy among young folks, but also like kids that have sex education actually delay sexual activity. Um, and so they're less likely to actually <laughs> engage in sex when they're young, when they're younger. And that, I like, mean, it know, definitely worked for me, but I think it was because, like, oh, my gosh, my sex ed class was legit, like, them showing all no. of the the different physical uh, genitalia that had all the diseases. No, 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 we don't want that. And it we was, like, those. legit, that's what was on the, and it was, like, old school, like, what is that thing? Not a projector with the, yes. <laughs> a yes, projector no, we don't want any and, like, a, uh, on film or something. And I was just, like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. I think that was my first time probably seeing the penis, but it looked like, oh, my God, what happened to that? I don't want that thing anywhere near me, you know? And so, I mean, it works for me. It was definitely fear-based. It was fear-based. Yeah, no, it scared me. No, but that's no not the kind of straight. curriculum. We, it was scared straight. Yeah, it was scared <laughs> straight. Away. It was like that. sex ed scared straight for sure. And it worked for me. I was like, I don't even want no. the condoms because I don't want nothing like that. <laughs> 
mean, there's definitely like, I mean, understanding the risk, right? But that's also like, that's really important for young people to learn, like, not about like, I don't, you know, not teaching fear based sex education, but like young people being able to understand risk and navigate risk, because that is a, you know, it's, it's an important life skill, right? Like there, there are actual risks to these things like how might you mitigate this or you know avoid this is an important learning learning skill but in terms of like sex ed not being you know um culturally relevant competent um appropriate it's it's absolutely true for you know for example like that's where Kimberdiff sort of tried to tries to um emerge or interrupt or disrupt sex education because uh there are like things that actually impact black folks that are not relevant to the entire population for example like black people at least in the united states and out, out, actually everywhere have a history of reproductive control um reproductive injustice sterilization mm-hmm. um increased sexual violence uh, uh disparate sort of sexual health outcomes these things need to be integrated into a sexual reproductive health curriculum um for queer young people uh, when sex ed is being taught in the majority of spaces it's completely heteronormative it erases queer people sex ed that's not shaming like um we want young people to be able to decide when they become parents right but we don't want to shame young people who are already parents in in while we're doing that (laughs) we don't want that to seem like you know if you, you know, I think sometimes parents do their own sex education. Like, if you get pregnant, I'm kicking you out of my house. It's like, what? Like, that that's not that's not sex education. I don't know what that is. Stop doing that. Um, right. And you know, my my one of my mentors, Dr. Lynn Roberts, who was a, a young parent, actually says, you know, there's no such thing as teen pregnancies. There's only there's only unsupported pregnancies. Whether mm-hmm. you're an adult or you're a or you're a young person, the difference is support. Right. And so, like, if we go around and like have these conversations around shame and stigma, it's actually like, let's turn the lens back on community and turn the lens back on family. Like what you're really saying is a young person got pregnant and we're not willing to support them. Right. right? And that we actually didn't we didn't offer the tools, the skills, the education that they needed to avoid that pregnancy if that's what they wanted to do. Uh, And so I think what's wrapped up in that is like there's there's a particular type of cultural lens that we need to have when we approach things. Um, like sex education, body liberation, the fact that, you know, black, black folks bodies are looked at different, like, they're always abject, they're always not in, uh, they're not normal, quote unquote, right, they're, they're like, they're threatening, right, mm-hmm. what, and that's across the gender spectrum, right, and so we need to have that conversation, if we're gonna have a conversation about body, bodily autonomy, we need to have that conversation in sex ed, it's a lot bigger than let's talk about disease, let's talk about birth control, uh, and let's talk about consent. It's a it's a massive sort of conversation, which is what's important because that can be weaved into your everyday today education, right? Your parental education, any kind of education that you're doing with your child um, can have that conversation. We it it literally falls under sex ed if we're doing sex ed for Black young people. Yes, I appreciate you showing how expansive the conversations can be because I think it has just been limited to these like things like consent. Um, did you say, did you get a clear yes? Or was it a clear no? Mm-hmm. You know, things of that nature or um, legit, just like the the STDs, STIs, HIV, you know, just that. That's all sex ed has been. And, and you know, it has to be more than that. Um, 
actually in this recent op-ed that came out in the Washington Post, um, a columnist, Christine Imba, talks about consent and like how that conversation is like actually just the baseline. Like you can say, hey, this person had said, yes, they're interested in this particular act. They want to have sex with me. Like, yes, they consented. Yes, I consented. And then like, that's it. We just know that both Uh of them said yes. Both of them are down. But there's no conversations beyond that with young people or even shoot with adults about like, well, then what feels good to you? What does pleasure look like? What's desirable? What kind of touch do you like? You know, um, that even though people say yes, we still like that. That's that's the beginning of the conversation. And we feel like we've been pushing that to be like, if you got a yes, cool, boom, then just go. And so I'm curious, like what you think about what are the conversations beyond consent that we need to have with our young people? Um particularly around like sex and sexual liberation and sexual health? Yeah, I think, I mean, there's so many conversations um, beyond consent. And I just, I mean, I think consent, <laughs> consent is hard, is a hard conversation if you try to do it all the time because you're weighing the like, I am your parent, I'm responsible for you and I want you to live free, <laughs> you know, and I want you to be a free person. Um, but in terms of like question things beyond consent, I think for me, one is like asking again desire and boundaries I think boundaries is a big thing people you know I think you know some folks I didn't have quote-unquote boundaries in my house I wasn't allowed to put up a boundary um but I think teaching young people about boundaries asking them um there's a great uh, resource or tool on Scarlet Teen and I you know for younger folks I think parents should go and like edit it down and like decide sort of what is appropriate because Scarlet Teen um actually uh, caters to older young people and emerging adults but a boundary checklist is something that could easily be created for like what would I like to like you know what do you like to be called I think why people stumble on like trans young people's pronouns or trans young people's names is because we never really ask young you know we call kids what we want to call them but we never you know when they turn 12 we never check in and say like is it still okay if I call you this nickname Right. Like, what do you want to be called? <laughs> right. Like, oh, Lord is, knows I'm over my nickname and they still call me that thing. And I'd be like, that, that I am almost real, 40 years old. Y'all still calling me this. That's a real conversation. And when you get older and it, you know, translates to relationships, like, you know, your person might, you know, come up with a pet name for you. And you're like, that's actually not it for me. You know, I don't like that name. But I'm you'll not be able feeling to have that it. <laughs> you'll be able to have that conversation later. Right. Or like, you know how like you know I like um for middle school it was big in middle school is showing off that you have a relationship um and I'll never forget a young person that told me like I really just don't like holding hands in the hallway it's just too much attention I was like girl that's a boundary you should tell somebody that <laughs> um and 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 that that idea she was like oh I can say that I don't like holding hands and we don't have to do that I'm like absolutely and so that's not about quote-unquote sex but it is a part of helping young people establish boundaries right with things that they don't like they don't enjoy and they actually feel um makes them feel unsafe unheard any of those things and so um I offer people have conversations about boundaries and then when we get older we will learn to put up boundaries in, around work and we will learn to put up boundaries around other things. But we don't, we're just going to naturally be able to do that now. Like, yeah. you should learn to say no. Uh, duh, I've been saying yes for 30 years. Where I'm supposed to get the no from? Or no one's <laughs> ever asked me what I thought. I just had to roll with stuff for the last just, X number of years. You know, um, we going here. I don't get to be like, oh, I really don't want to go. Like, mama said, we going. You just got to go. You know, um, there is, there's often not those conversations. Um 
Yeah, that's a whole, yeah, like you're right. These conversations are not just about sex. It's about um, what's the kind of relationship and connection we want to have with our children that's rooted in their own voice, their own power, their own agency. And yes. once they have, once we cultivate that, right, like we support and nurture their sense of their self, their voice, their agency, their own ideas, their thoughts. Like when they can, when we can engage in those types of conversations with them, we create the space and the conditions for them to be able to say, oh, I really don't want this. I like this. I don't like this. Not only with us, they have to start with us, though. Right. Like mm -hmm. they have like we can't consider that talking back or being rude or being disrespectful mm -hmm. because a young person was like, I really feel this way. I don't want that. You know, like it's OK for them to say um, and set boundaries because they have to practice it at home so that they can have have the skill set of being able to do that when they get older, or when they get around peers. We're so mm -hmm. worried about our kids being susceptible to peer pressure, but we don't allow we have to create the spaces for them to like make choices and say what they like and don't like so that when they get around their peers they could do the same thing mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. it's important and you mentioned this this scarlet teen is that a resource that parents or young people can go to yes i have lots of resources for parents so i, I often recommend the same thing i recommend to young people i recommend to parents so that they can learn how to do sort of the age appropriate stuff and become their own sort of sex educators. Okay. So Scarlet Teen is a, a resource for older young older teens and emerging adults. It gives lots of sex education on all different topics from body to puberty to um to fa like growing facial hair to like <laughs> sex, the boundaries, like all of that. Um, and that's an excellent resource. Um, I like sex, etc. Uh, so sex ETC, uh, it's sex ed for teens by teens. So like teens actually write this um, and they offer some lots of general education like Scarlet Teen, but they also offer some tools like a communication tool that helps young people figure out how to talk to their parents or caregivers or partners or healthcare providers about a topic. So what's really neat about that is like, you know, in the same way that parents feel like, oh, my God, I don't know how to do this. Young people also feel that exact same way. <laughs> and so it's a two-way relationship that has to be cultivated and built. Um, mm -hmm. They also have sex ed in the states, which gives teens information about the laws in their states, which is, you know, very interesting because laws actually differ based on every single state. Um, and they have a clinic finder. So young people can go and find out where to get information about HIV and STIs. Um, I also recommend Amaze. It's like it's called Amaze, and it is amazing. <laughs> it's for uh, the pre the preteens and the younger folks, um, and it's a video series. So it's not like you have to. These other things are mostly reading, but Amaze is like lots of videos that explain everything from pronouns to healthy relationships to personal safety um, to gender identity. And like I send one of these to some adult in my life. <laughs> Every single week. <laughs> like, well, put me on the text, text list because I have a teenager now and I'm like, oh, this is maybe these are some great tools I can share with him. And mm -hmm. I have an 18 year old who's about to go to college. So I'm sure oh, they could use some tools. <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah. yeah amazing. Amaz <laughs> amazing has it has a parent section. It has an educator. Oh, section, awesome. So it's a really uh, it's a really excellent tool that I 100 percent, 100 percent recommend for folks and we'll get all these links from Brittany, and we'll put them in the show notes so if you're listening to this podcast on whatever platform we will link to them um and when we share it on social media we'll make sure to link to all these resources thank you so much um you know the last question you actually mentioned it a little bit um 
one of the things that Amaze offers or Sex Etc. offers is talking about sex ed in the states because, as you said, like different laws um, have mm-hmm. different. We have different restrictions or different sex ed policies um, based on our state. And like you said, in New York, which is like supposed to be really progressive. Um, Y'all don't even have a mandatory like sex education, right. and there's a policy. I'm sure advocates, uh, communities, you know, small nonprofit folks who are doing policy work are probably trying to advocate for more sex ed in the state. And so, shout out to our our policy <laughs> advocates on the ground there. Um, you know, there's a lot lately. You know, 2021 was a year that we had the most like kind of abortion ban type of laws that have been going into effect uh, folks are looking at what's the threats to Roe versus Wade which is the mm-hmm. landmark case that found that women have a constitutional right um, to protect you know to bodily autonomy and making choices about uh, terminating pregnancies or not or having an abortion or not and access to access just generally having access to that choice and that decision and Texas recently legit made it illegal after six weeks and we know that some people don't even find out they're pregnant within six weeks um i mm-hmm. definitely didn't find out i was pregnant within six weeks like mm-hmm. yeah i didn't find out till later and so um and then like more recently i just found out that missouri is trying to uh they already have like you know abortion restrictions in their state they're trying to make it illegal for someone to leave their state and get an abortion elsewhere and if you help mm-hmm. if you help someone get an abortion elsewhere like give them resources provide them a ride they're trying to have it where that person that citizen who helps um could could be held you know under like legal proceedings because they're helping it's like it's illegal to do that to help someone get access and so you know there's a lot right now um Uh, regarding our bodies and we're talking about giving our young people bodily autonomy but also our government is trying to you know control or restrict our bodily autonomy so can you explain Mm -hmm. like why reproductive justice is so important um and why these laws are a threat um and how is this going to impact how do these laws and these types of policies impact black folks black children black girls black trans folks and black families Mm -hmm. and how we should be talking about this yeah so I mean, if you're in the if you're in repro <laughs> this year, last year, every year, I you know like I, I really I do like big hug to those two folks like my you know my comrades my colleagues that you know do this work day in and day out because it's just egregious um, some of the things that are coming across you know the headlines and have been for a very long time and I'm happy that they're making it actually into national or mainstream news because. Um, there's been a lot of work, right? And so um, I'll start by saying like reproductive justice for folks who are not familiar with reproductive justice is a term that was coined in 1994. So almost 30 years now by uh, black women in Chicago. Well, actually they were, they were physically in Chicago, but from all across the U.S. uh, came together to find a term that would fully encapsulate sort of what they were experiencing beyond sort of the conversation about reproductive rights. And so the original sort of term of of reproductive justice had three tenets. The first um, is the right to have a child. The second is the right to not have a child. And the third is the right to parent that child in a safe and dignified environment. 
And so, you know, I like to tell, tell folks, like, mostly every justice issue is a reproductive justice issue. Uh, when we are out in the streets um, saying Black Lives Matter, that is a reproductive justice issue, right? We don't want our children to die at the hands of police or the state. We have the right to parent a child in a safe and dignified environment. And so uh, everything, okay. <laughs> there's anything and everything can fall under reproductive justice. Yes. Um, but specifically, abortion is a reproductive justice issue, especially for Black families and communities. Um, and what we know is, you mentioned 1970, you know, 1973, Roe v. Wade was passed um, in the United States legislature, which made, you know, abortion legal in the U.S. Um, but that really protects the individual right to an abortion. So you, singular person in this place, can have an abortion but what we know is three years later, uh, the Hyde Amendment was passed, which actually restricts abortion for anyone using federal funds to pay for abortion. So that means folks that are on Medicaid, folks that have government-sponsored insurance, actually were denied early on, only three years later, from accessing abortion. And so that wow. immediately made abortion inaccessible for lots of Black folks, lots of low-income folks, lots of women of color, lots of Indigenous folks. Immediately, right? And so Hyde has not yet been repealed. Um, and so that was like the first layer. And since Roe uh, has been passed, there's been, been about 1,300 1, um, state abortion restrictions enacted um, or at least proposed since Roe, right? So 1,300 in that short time. Uh, and as we approach the 50th anniversary of Roe, we, we're seeing um, serious sort of egregious attempts to um, roll it back, especially the Texas abortion ban. Um, and for folks, you know, like the 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 idea of a six-week abortion ban, like you said, most people do not know that they are pregnant. And specifically for Black women, um, many who disproportionately suffer from fibroids, PCOS, um, endometriosis, um, actually have trouble with periods in the first place. So six weeks, regular, most people don't know they're pregnant, but if you have any kind of um, other reproductive health issue, that timeline may be a lot different, right? And so this this on a sort of health level impacts black women from a different place. But we also know that black women are less likely to have access to some of the structural things we need to live self-determined lives, whether that's housing, education, um, food, any of those things. And so this is like a compounded attack on our human rights, um, our bodies, et cetera, et cetera. And so uh, this law and all of the laws that have been enacted have real sort of material um, consequences for our lives and for teen, for young people in particular there are already and have already been sort of um, uh, laws or policies in place that make it very difficult for young people to access abortion and those are called parental involvement laws and I think that it's so interesting that we're talking like you know your org is called uh, Parenting for Liberation and mm -hmm. the one thing that restricts young people the most from um, seeking abortion is parental involvement laws and so there's two types of those laws one of them is parental notification and it's exactly how it sounds it uh, requires um, the person who's providing abortion to contact par parents between 24 and 48 hours um, before a young person receives an abortion. And so if you are a supportive household and they contact your parents, there's no problem. Um, but if you think that that might, you know, in some cases that a young person would avoid that altogether because they don't know what the consequences will be um, with their parent and they just, you know, usually wait and find out. Um, and then we have parental consent. And so there are, law, there are states that require a young person to obtain consent from one or both parents. Now, imagine that your parents aren't together. You don't have access to one parent. If that law is in place, you have to actually go find your parent. 
um, your second parent and get uh, permission before you ha- can have an abortion performed. And wow. if you want to bypass any of those laws, you have to do a judicial bypass, which means your young person is going to have to go to the court sometimes in the middle of the night and stand before a judge that they do not know. And that judge decides whether or not they can have an abortion. Um, wow. And so really, really, really um, actually like sad and disheartening yeah. um, laws or policies that are placed on young people trying to make a de- like actually determine um, the rest of their futures. Right. Um, and I've yeah. always said like, I, you know, as a reproductive justice activist that works on behalf of young people, I feel like, it's my most abolitionist thing to steal young people from futures they do not want. Um, and so to figure out how to support young people in getting what they need in order to determine the future that they want. And this is like one of the policies that really restricts young people from doing that. Um, and then, you know, and even to complicate that with immigrant youth or young people who have mixed status um, in the United States, it's re- documentation <laughs> is, a, is a huge barrier to lots of people in order to receive, you know, healthcare, medical care, and especially abortion care. And so there's like a whole host of things that are already, you know, complicating our ability to, you know, live and lead self-determined lives and have bodily autonomy and parent, you know, in a dignified environment. And then there's like these literal laws that are put in place uh, that create um, inequality for young people, inequality for black folks, inequality for lots of communities. Uh, and so the fight is continuous when I'm in, you know, and a lot of people are innovating about what do we do after Roe? Like, what do we do if Roe goes away? <laughs> you know, we what have to figure we do? out what how we, we are going to, to do, how we're going to keep, you know, living um, and creating the families we want on our terms when this is no longer available to us. Yes. And making sure that young people are a part of the conversation when we're trying to figure out what do we do after Roe. You know, like young people have ideas and visions and they can contribute to the future visions about how how do we make sure that our communities, our young people, our families have access to the medical uh, resources that we need, you know, Um, and how do we maintain a sense of control over our bodies and decision making power over our bodies and what we want to do and not want to do. And so I really love how you framed this um, reproductive justice and talked about the three pillars because we are starting to do more work as parent of a liberation in the reproductive justice um, field because we do know that our work is connected to reproductive justice because we do have that third pillar that's about our ability to parent our children if we choose to have children to parent our children in safe and dignified environments and Mm -hmm. we know that America is not trying to create those conditions for black people so we must fight for them Um, and in that fight for reproductive justice we also have to fight for people's rights to to bodily autonomy and choice and decision making. And so I really love the way you framed it as um, trying to support young people and any people, right, um, to have the future that they want. Right. So what mm-hmm. do they need? What resources do they need? What 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 medical treatment, what medical um access do they need if they want to make choices to have the future that they want right and so I really love that it's about their future their lives right and their ability to be free in the future and so Mm -hmm. I think that's so important I don't I don't think I've ever really heard it framed in that way Um, and hopefully that unlocks more opportunities for people to have these conversations with their children yes yes Thank you so much. You've dropped so much wisdom and knowledge tell folks how they can learn more about you and the work you're doing Absolutely. So you can learn more about my work um, at Kimberdiv.com. I'll spell that out. It's K-I-M-B-R-I-T-I-V-E 
com, and we also are on all the socials so you can find us on instagram twitter facebook um instagram is our most used platform I'm just going to put that out there where we provide information for folks uh, but lots of information on our blog and again we tailor our work specifically to black girls and black women and so it comes straight from our point of view Yes, but actually black, black, black. Thank you so much for the work that you do for fighting for our girls, our families, um, and black people in general. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you for having me.